Hello, and welcome to the Rank and Flank podcast. Uh, my name is Fintan, uh, and these are my co-hosts, uh, AJ and Tim. Hello. Evening. Uh, given this is our first uh, episode of this podcast, uh, we're going to start off with some introductions. Uh, why don't... Could one of you start us off? Yes, absolutely. Uh, okay, so I'm AJ. Um, I... Started playing Warhammer in, I think, 1990. Um, so I am an old fart. Um, I started with uh, Advanced Hero Quest, which I played the Wood Elf character and immediately kind of got hooked on Wood Elves and Skaven. Um, and so um, I, um, a few years after that, I ended up working for Games Workshop uh, in the store in Belfast for a couple of years, um, where I bought way too many toy soldiers. Um, and then uh, I took a break for a while uh, to, you know, travel the world and have children, stuff like that, uh, and got back into Warhammer ooh, just as 8th edition had come out, um, not long after 8th edition had come out. And I played that right the way through until the end times. And then the end times kind of killed my enthusiasm for the hobby, but with the rebirth of the old world, um, all of that enthusiasm is coming right back. Um, and during 8th edition, I co-hosted another podcast, which was called Dimensional Cascade, um, which was mostly focused on the Pacific Northwest area of the United States, because that's where I was living at the time. Um, and so I was very excited to be doing a podcast um, based around ireland which is where i'm living now that's me there we go 60 seconds done very nice thank you uh to be go next right my name's tim and i'm a warhammerholic <laughs> it's been over hi tim <laughs> it's been over 20 years since my last game <laughs> nobody believes you <laughs> of warhammer fantasy uh, okay okay right. um 20 years since my last beer ignore the wine <laughs> pretty well since there's now about 50 games with warhammer in the title i think it's worthwhile qualifying what exactly you mean for what it's worth um so like a lot of people i got into fantasy model gaming with games like hero quest advanced hero quest um i got into 40k with Rogue Trader. My first Warhammer experience was with the fourth edition box set, which had the High Elves and Goblins. That was a great box set. That was probably the best box set ever, apart from all the others that I haven't heard <laughs> talk about. Um, was that what was that called? That box set. It didn't have a name officially. Right. It was right. just called Warhammer. And then at some point it was called the Game of Fantasy Battles. Right. That's right. I um, remember. That that was the first time they did the box sets, was that one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, keep going. Yeah, Sorry. It was um it, it followed through from uh, games like Adeptus Titanicus and Space Marine and Games Workshop had quite a good bit of success with actually putting everything you need into a box and then selling it to you. Um I was actually very interested in collecting dark elves at the time and they seemed to mysteriously vanish from sales so i ended up collecting orcs because they were fun um i like some of the uh, space hawk um, literature that i was reading which involved 
them being really silly and um, hitting each other, which I think I was about 12 at the time, so that kind of appealed to <laughs> a sense of... Um, fun? Fun, yeah. yeah. Shenanigans? Yeah. Um, Mindless pro- violence? Mindless. <laughs> there's probably a lot of other words I could use in that place, but fun <laughs> is uh, probably the cleanest. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, and then I think I got about one or two regiments of Dark Elves and absolutely vanished. But then Orcs, they started coming out thick and fast. So you had um, lots of different funny goblins who would strap them, strap a set of wings to their back and then fly at the enemy and then splat in a blaze of glory. And then there was the squig riding ones. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing but fun and games with the orcs and goblins, yeah. that's for sure. Yep. Um, then I ended up um, collecting high elves for some reason. Because you wanted um, to win? <laughs> actually, actually, I won more games with uh, my orcs. Um, it's the power of the war. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I think orcs are a lot easier as your first army. Um, they can do what I would call boxing on the, on the table, so they can march up, take a few punches, and then give back as good as they got. Yeah. Whereas elf armies can give it out, but can't always take it. That's right. Just like yeah. elves, honestly. <laughs> it's like they're, they'll be all up in your grill, but as soon as you insult them, they're like, I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I feared bastards. <laughs> but watch it. <laughs> There's still a few spearmen left. I hasten to add. I ended up um, going on to harder things, shall we say, um, in terms of wargaming, branching out into different collections, games that aren't exactly Games Workshop games, miniatures that aren't Citadel. Um, That's okay. We've all done it. You know, you know this this podcast is not sponsored by Games Workshop. We're allowed to name names and 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 talk about things. In fact, I really hope we're talking about more miniatures than just what's published by by Games Workshop. Yeah, um, the local game shop to me actually got in a game called Raven, which I th- don't think anyone has ever heard of other than me. Correct. And <laughs> <laughs> it was actually put out by um, a group of guys who were former Games Workshop staff. Um, the orcs were done by Kev Adams, so you know that they're good oh, yeah. orcs. Nice. Um, and at some point, I ended up working at Games Workshop for some reason, um, and stopped playing Warhammer Fantasy around about sixth edition, which I find is quite a good edition. But my gaming group was more into forty k at the time, and not played Warhammer since so it has been a good 20 years since my last game oh. um, I have had a look at um, the old world and the thought of putting miniatures on new bases does scare me so I'll just have to collect another army yeah <laughs> seems like a very reasonable thing to do and I advise everyone to do it uh, yeah so you were right you are a Warhammer holic absolutely <laughs> All right. My name is Finton. Uh, I've been playing since I was very, very young. How old was I when I first? Maybe eight, seven? I think it was seven. Yeah. Uh, AJ is my father. 
uh, and he's the one who got me into the hobby. He uh, introduced me to, I think, Advanced Hero Quest uh, when I was very, very young. Yep. Uh, and then Space Hulk, and then brought me to Games Workshop stores, and I'm like, oh, I want to play this. This is cool, as I saw all the demo games on the table. So I was starting out with uh, 8th edition uh, fantasy, right as he, uh, he was getting into that. Uh, and the army that grabbed me was the Empire. I absolutely loved the uh, the cover art of the 8th edition army book with the repeater handgunner uh, in full plate armor, standing atop a mound of bodies. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't every 8th edition army book have somebody standing atop a mound of bodies? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> it's excellent marketing. Yes. It tells exactly what you're getting into. Yep. Uh, and I spent most of my hobby career uh from that point playing in tournaments uh and that's kind of colored my perception of a lot of warhammer fantasy it was the tournament scene uh where i got absolutely stomped every game but it was really fun uh it was challenging at times but it's you know it was really good fun up until 2014 when the end times came about and uh, ruined everything yeah, I do remember like when the end times first came about, we were pretty excited about it to the point where we we literally uh, made like sandwich boards and posters and went and, and stood outside our games workshop with, with signs saying the end is nigh and, <laughs> and uh, various other things while we were waiting for one of the books to come out. Uh, but, uh, well, I, I, I also remember you, uh, I think at age nine maybe or ten um completely tabling um some folks with uh with your army um at a tournament so you know it wasn't all getting stomped on but yes i apologize for that that's my bad that's fine it was fun (laughs) uh after eighth edition died i kind of also lost interest in the hobby for a good few years until uh like a couple of years ago, I started getting back into 40k. Uh, and that was, uh, I, we had a, uh, collection of dark angels from various box sets, uh, which I brought to one tournament, hated it and didn't play it again for another couple of years. Uh, and then when ninth edition rolled around, started getting back into it and I began collecting Imperial guard and, uh, kind of got me back into the hobby again. And now that old world's coming back around, uh, going back to the first setting where I ever was really introduced to wargaming, uh, I'm very excited to get back into, probably not Empire this time, but, you know, the setting I enjoyed. And what's going to be your first army then? Uh, probably Beastmen. I'm uh, looking into them. So they will be part of the Empire. To hang in, I think they hang out in the Great Forest. Down south of Uppersreich, yeah. So. Yeah, for me, I'm definitely... Uh, Given that I have a bunch of painted wood elves, um, I'm gonna put them on the new bases and uh, and see how we go from there. But uh, I, I I smell a new army uh, in the not too distant future for myself. I'm just not a hundred percent sure what yet. Yeah, I think myself I'll be doing a chaos army. because ah. um, you want to win. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, actually the. I don't know if you guys are familiar um, with Death Dealer, which is a portrait of a scary dark horseman by Frank Frazetta. No, not familiar. Um, 
it is pretty much the inspiration for Chaos Warriors in general. Oh, okay. Um, in fact, uh, Thomas Piernin recently confirmed what I've been saying for ages, that he actually based Archaeon on that picture yeah oh wow now i have to go and look that up absolutely say what was the name of the artist again um it's frank frazetta okay he's a very influential artist um period okay cool Um, and the name of the picture is death dealer death dealer okay yeah i managed to get a miniature um of death dealer who will be the chaos lord of my army ah so that's Um, the inspiration absolutely Yeah, so for me, it's most likely going to be Bretonians. Um, the downside of that is Bretonians don't have any monsters in their army, and I do love me some monsters. So that's what's holding me back. Uh, probably the reason that I'm excited about Bretonians, aside from you know loving the King Arthur um, mythology, is that uh, in our Warhammer Fantasy roleplay group that we've been playing of late, I've been playing a Bretonian for like the last... Well, almost a year now, I guess, and putting on a very silly fake French accent and uh, uh, enjoying myself immensely. So I feel like if I can, you know, shout at people in a fake French accent uh, on the battlefield, I'll have just as much fun. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, technically, you don't actually need an army to do that, but... (laughs) (laughs) In a battlefield? Yeah, Yeah, I just shout at people (laughs) in a fake... I would give you my fake French accent right now! (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, now that introductions are out of the way, I uh, want to go over what we're going to be talking about for the rest of this episode. So, uh, the first thing I wanted to discuss would be some differences between 8th edition and uh, the old world. Uh, just how the rules have changed and what that's going to mean for the game going forward. Uh, after that, I want to give a fun uh, demonstration of the rules, uh, where we're going to have some named characters fight each other in a segment called The Pit. Uh, after that, we'll go into how to get started collecting a new army for this game. Uh, and then we'll wrap up from there, I think. Sounds good. The Art of War. All right. So let's get started by talking about some of uh, the different changes uh, between 8th edition fantasy and the old world. Okay. So there's been quite a few uh, bits and pieces put onto the Warhammer community site already. Uh, so I don't really kind of want to cover too much of what they've uh, already, uh, you know, talked about over the last few weeks. But um, I'm, I'm going to call out a few things that I think are, are, you know, significant differences. The difficulty is, you know, obviously the rules only dropped officially a couple days ago. Um, you know, we just got the PDFs of the um, Legacy Armies today. Um, there's an awful lot to digest. And until we've really got some, you know, toy soldiers on the table and rolled a bunch of dice, um, it's all kind of conjecture and theory hammer at this point. But, um, you know, I played a lot of 8th edition competitively. So uh, um, these are the things that are kind of standing out to me. Okay. Um, feel free to interrupt as I'm going and and bring us in any tangent you like. And it does not have to be super rules relevant it can just be fun and shenanigans but i'm, I'm otherwise i'm just going to kind of keep moving things along yeah. sound good mm. all right so uh first thing i think that is um 
really beneficial change is that base sizes are now part of the model profile. So one of, one of the biggest problems that we had where there were no official base sizes, um, people at tournaments would occasionally um, model for advantage um, and put like a huge model on a tiny base. Um, I'm looking at like the 50 by 50 uh, forest dragon, for example. You know, it was a thing. Oh, oh, yeah. The forest dragon, or the forest dragon kit, was a really, really old metal dragon kit that was hard to put together. Um, it had the twins riding on the back of it. I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, yeah. The yeah. sisters of twilight. Yeah. Yeah, the sisters of twilight, and uh, um, it came with a fifty millimeter base, fifty by fifty millimeter base. Uh, it was the only dragon in 8th edition that came with a 50 by 50 millimeter base. Everything else had been long upgraded to, I think they were on 100 mil by 50 mil bases, um, or maybe 100 by 75, some of them. Um, anyway, having specified base size just removes all of that. It, it removes a lot of the onus on uh, tournament organizers to have to answer questions about what base size does this need to be in? Well, he's cheating. Man, man, man. Yeah. Anyway. So base sizes is the first thing. Um, second thing is um, I love the templates are in the game still. Uh, to me, the templates are A, really fun, uh, and B, make for excellent uh, tournament prizes. Like uh, a lot of the, the tournaments that I would run or go to, um, you know, instead of giving you a certificate, you would get a, um, you know, a, a new template with the name of the tournament on it, um, or in our case, the podcast or whatever it happened to be. Um, and, you know, because there's quite a lot of different templates that you can end up using, there's there's the three inch, the five inch and the flame template. And in the old edition, there was like the fallen giant template as well. Um, they, you don't you don't really run out of need for these. They, they you break, they, you lose them, whatever. Templates are great. Um, so the rules for the templates have changed now. And I think these are for the better to help prevent so many arguments. Um, now, if your model's 100% covered by the template, you're hit. But if it's only partially covered, you're only hit on a four plus. Um, so it used to be, I, I even remember people publishing um, like pictures to show if your template hits you know, here, then it's this many models on 20 mil bases or this many models on 25 mil bases. I'm like, you know, that's it's taken it a little bit far. It's like, so that's taking a lot of the fun out of it at that point of templates, right? Because they're meant to be wacky and random in a lot of cases, especially when combined with scatter dice, right? Uh, and if you're like, oh, this hits 15 guys automatically, it's not exactly you know fun. It is kind of quicker, assuming that you agree where that hits, but yeah. if you don't, then it can just lead to you know judges being called, yeah, and, right, and and arguments and disagreements and so forth. So. The fact that it, it's, you know, all of these dudes on a four-up, it, it's like, okay, well, one more dude on a four-up, nobody's going to argue about that because that's basically a roll-off anyway. So, yeah, I like that a lot. Uh, did they bring back the Fallen Giant and Foot of Gork templates? No, sadly. Terrible game. New podcast. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, I believe that Foot of Gork is now a five-inch template. That's uh, about what it was anyway. Yeah, and and the Fallen Giant template has been replaced with a special rule called Timber, which <clears throat> I don't like that rule. Um, 
it, it says you, you dice off, uh, you roll off to see uh, um, who chooses which way the, uh, the giant falls or what, anything that has this special rule, which includes tree men. And uh, you, you nominate an arc in the direction that they, they fall, uh, whoever wins the roll off. And then anything that's uh, in that direction uh, ends up getting, getting hit. Um, so it's, it's fine. I would much prefer it to be like a scatter dice or something a bit more, uh, a bit more silly. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to go to all the hassle of figuring out which way something falls to see who gets splatted, make it fun. Um, I think the, the roll off works. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Whenever I'm going to be playing this, it's definitely going to be uh, randomized whenever I win the roll-offs. <laughs> I've won the roll-off, now I'm going to scatter to see which way it goes. Exactly. Nice. Uh, that's that's classy. So I've not read the rules, right? But being a war gamer, I'm determined to uh, make a judgment on this. <laughs> um, I think that um, if you're going to roll to see if the template doesn't hit you, um, it should be an initiative roll. I think as a stat line, initiative isn't used nearly enough. And I think probably by next podcast, when I've actually read the rule book, I might be having to eat the rule book because <laughs> I've made a judgment there. But Initiative is used a bit, uh, well, at least it's modified a bit more uh, in this edition than it was in previous editions. That's yeah. good. Yeah, I think initiative uh, actually does come into things a bit more and and. I think if I'm not mistaken, it actually comes into that particular rule. Um, I'm going to look that up and, and report back on it a little bit later. Because okay. um, they, they got rid of it from 40k, and I'm still quite annoyed about it. They got rid of all templates from 40k. That's true. Yeah, but I'm not as bothered about templates as I am about initiative. Like, Oh, sure. <laughs> nope, they do not have initiative in that particular rule. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I like I like initiative being in things a bit more. Um, okay, so um, the next thing up that they have added in um, is uh, it's more of a, a refinement and clarification than anything else. We now have this concept of uh, the formation that your unit operates in, and there are, I think, only three options. Um, you have skirmishers which we are you know generally familiar with from uh, previous editions and also from like 40k and so forth yeah. which basically means they are not in any particular shape or or uh, orientation um but the models all have to remain within one inch of another model from the same unit um they have uh, now two other formations close order formation and open order formation now the close order formation is what we think of when we think of the uh, the stereotypical rank and flank kind of unit, right? They're all close together. They've got their sword and their shield, and they're you know relying on each other to protect each other. The open order formation is it on the battlefield. It looks exactly the same, right? The, still, the models are ranked up in the same way, but the concept behind it is that they have a looser fighting style, and so as a result, they're more maneuverable. Um, and, and I actually really like this differentiation, and that's possibly because I'm a Wood Elf player. Um, but um, <clears throat> what it means is that, for example, your unit of archers, um, 
in the in the, I'm going to um, you'll hear me use Wood Elf examples a lot because it's certainly the the army that I've read the most of so far. Um, a unit of archers is 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 open order and so gets to make a a pivot at the end of its movement or as part of its movement. I think it's at the end, um, which makes it uh, easy to you know point at the enemy you want to shoot at. Um, whereas your close order unit, like your spearmen, um, they, uh, they get a, a, an additional combat result bonus, right? Um, so it, 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 these are logical things that, that I think help the simulation and also uh, really kind of clarify the rules around um, how your models are supposed to be arranged and laid out. Yeah, I think that actually does sound like a very good rule. Um, I've had a few discussions, um, after game discussions, uh, with mates back in the day um, about that very thing and I think that's a good idea it brings it in line with other war games um, and pretty much ideas of the period of ancient battles medieval battles where how you manoeuvre your troops and what your formation is, is actually plays a factor in your game I mean you did mention that skirmishing was a thing, and that always kind of was a thing, but close order um, particularly is going to be very important for anyone with a phalanx, so high elf spearmen, empire spearmen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is, your, it is your, your typical rank and file unit. Yeah. Um, the, the, the ones that are holding objectives or, or you know, forming the... Uh, kind of the core of your army are typically going to be these close order units. Um, I think what's interesting is, uh, sorry, did you want to say something? No, go ahead. No? Um, it is that uh, if you've got a close order unit in a combat, um, they automatically give you a plus one toward your combat result. Um, so they don't, they don't, that's not, that's separate from rank bonus. Um, so I think that's, that's a, a pretty neat thing. So there's reasons to have close order, reasons to have open order and reasons to have skirmishers. Um, and, and they excel at the things that they're supposed to be good at and they, you know, have weaknesses that balance them out. Yeah. One of the biggest things about skirmishers I really want to emphasize is that they don't have any facing so they can charge in any direction. Yeah, I do like that. Um, but just because they can charge in any direction, you know, you're like, ah, surprise flank attack. Um, they don't disrupt you if they charge you in the flank, right? So they're because they're not uh, rank and file troops, they're not as... Uh, um, it's not a big block of guys hitting you. It's just like one guy, then another, then another. Yes, exactly. Um, so I, I'm, I'm definitely interested to try, try them out on the battlefield and to see, you know, what the impact is of these, these new rules. Okay, um, another thing, uh, so we're, we're kind of at the very high level stuff at the moment. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll get through that shortly and then, and then move on to kind of uh, piece by piece rules. Um, they've, they've reintroduced the concept of unit strength. Um, so unit strength now is, it's used in a bunch of places um, and it's a representation of, of um, how outnumbered are you? Um, and, uh, you know, for most models, um, or most units, uh, the unit strength is, uh, count up the number of, uh, models in the unit. Um, but for things like monsters, it's how many wounds do they have? Like, or I think it's the starting wounds of the monster. Um, so, you know, your, your, your 
six wound monster has a unit strength of six, right? So uh, won't be outnumbered by five dudes. Um, I think uh, in most cases it's about um, it, it's about making more nuance to the psychology. Um, and uh, I'm trying to remember a specific example, but I think there's like uh, if you are making a break test um, and you're out, you're more than twice outnumbered in unit strength, then there's a different effect compared to if you're you know more equal. I believe fear only applies if the enemy outnumbers you. Right. That's right. That's another one. You know, so the, it, like I said, it's all to do with, uh, I think it's all to do with the psychology is the strength, the unit strength stuff. So um, I, I think that's good. You know, it, it, it makes sense to me. Uh, you know, if you've got uh, 40 goblins all in a unit, uh, they're a lot braver than if there's only four. I haven't read the section on objectives or anything yet, uh, but I'm imagining that they probably are going to use this for objective control as well. They do, right. yep. Um, the there's so there isn't um, specific rules and objectives. Just to kind of jump to that, um, but it is uh, more on a scenario by scenario basis. Um, so there's there's they I think they present nine different scenarios in the rule book, and there's extra ones in the arcane journals, and uh, they really just provide you know different ways to play out a battle. And yeah, if if one of the objectives is that you have to, or, or if, if part of the mission is you have to hold a particular objective, um, then it comes down to unit strength to determine uh, um, who holds it. Okay, last uh, last thing I have on, on kind of overall changes is um, they've introduced two new troop types. Um, and these are, again, just kind of refinements and clarifications over what we had before. Um, now we have... Uh, heavy infantry, which is somewhere in between regular infantry and monstrous infantry. Um, so think about like uh, your chaos warriors, for example, are clearly heavy infantry versus, you know, um, your your glade guard, which are regular infantry. Um, and then your monstrous infantry are still the same. It's like your your ogres and your... Your minotaurs. And your trolls and whatever else. Yeah, I think they nicked that one from Kings of War. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and um, with those troop types now comes uh, um, the concept of your rank bonus is determined by how many troops uh, or, or what your troop type is determines uh, how big your rank has to be. And that was kind of in eighth already. Um, like monster and sympathy um, needed only three to have a rank, uh, whereas all other unit types pretty much needed five. Um, so if you're a monstrous, you needed three, otherwise you needed five. Well, now with the heavy in between, um, and I believe there's even heavy cavalry as well, now that I think about it. Um, so the heavy category just needs four. So nice and easy, three, four, and five, um, you know, in descending order of size, it's easy enough to remember. It'll be nice for Nurgle Warriors armies to be able to run eight blocks of guys and have two ranks. Right, yeah, because uh, that's Nurgle's that's special, number, yeah. special yeah. number, yeah. I thought it was seven. No, uh, seven is Zinch. And who's nine? Slanesh. No, actually, hang on, no. Eight's... No, you're right. Hang on. Eight is corn. Eight's corn. I'm entirely confused. Yeah, yeah, Six. I think eight's corn. Eight's corn. I knew it was yeah. either corn or Nurgle. There you go. Yeah. Um, is nine Nurgle? No. No, right. seven's Nurgle. That's right. Seven's Nurgle. Seven's right. Nurgle. Yeah, because Six, Slanesh. Yeah. Nine for mortal men. 
Uh, <laughs> three for the elven kings. And one ring to rule them all. Pretty much. <laughs> okay. That's Nagash, right? <laughs> but um, yeah, it goes um, six, seven, eight, nine. Slanesh, Nurgle, Corn, um, Zinch. Zinch. However we're pronouncing it mm. today. Yeah. yeah. Zinch. <laughs> well, you know, back when we were first reading it and there was no games workshop in town and we had no idea how to pronounce it and and Tzintik was uh absolutely a popular choice well i mean why wouldn't it be yeah. <laughs> i hope no one was playing chaos at the time everyone was playing chaos at the time do you know why because they win they wanted to win <laughs> exactly right i think it must be quite interesting for gamers who travel to find out how many variations on that particular <laughs> pronunciation there is yeah Okay, uh, so let's. Uh, I've only got a few more things to cover in terms of uh, in terms of rules. So, spells. Obviously, the magic phase has changed quite a bit, and they've kind of gone into that in the Warhammer community site. I'm not going to cover over that um, too much, but uh, long and short of it is, um, instead of having a dice pool, you're going to get to cast each spell that you know, um, and you're going to chuck two d six at it each time. Um, the the difference that I think is worth calling out, there's two differences I think are worth calling out. One is that when you're doing your spell selection, it used to be if you're a level four wizard, you roll four dice and then you pick uh, the numbers that are uh, of the spell from the lore that you had in accordance with the numbers that you rolled in the dice. So if you rolled a, a one, two, five, and six, you got spells numbers one, two, and five, and six. Um, and you're able to throw one of those away and choose the signature spell. That hasn't changed. What's changed is what happens if you roll a double, um, any duplicates. Um, it used to be that rolling a duplicate meant you got to choose the spell you wanted, which was fantastic um, in terms of, uh, you take a level four wizard um, in a particular lore, you were almost guaranteed to get the spell that you wanted to get from that lore. Now you have to re-roll. Um, now, this is offset, and I, I don't know how much this is um, for all the armies, but this is offset by the fact that some wizards know specific lures that are for their particular army. Um, and I'll use the Wood Elves again as an example. The lore of Athel Lauren, right? Um, there's only three spells in that lore, and it's not a, a, a complete lore that you choose from, that you roll on just like the others. What it is, is when you choose the signature spell, instead of taking the signature spell from whatever lore you have, you can choose a spell from the lore of Athel Lauren. So um, I think spell selection has changed quite a bit. Um, and, and overall, the spells seem to be quite downpowered compared to last time, which uh, or compared to 8th edition, which I think is, is a good change, right? We don't have the... No more purple sun no leading more... everyone on initiative <laughs> saves. Oh, yeah. Like I've been to tournaments where you know literally turn to somebody's army is off the board and and it's just like it's not it's not fun. Uh, I mean you have to laugh because otherwise you'd cry, but <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's actually fun. Um, and so so yeah, I, I'm kind of curious to see how magic plays out um, as part of the game. I am, I think we'll see probably fewer you know magic dominated lists like we might have seen in the past but who knows um one thing that stuck out to me is that hexes and buffs um which i think they're, they're there's now a special 
subphase for it called the conjuration subphase. Uh, and it happens before movement. So if you want to buff your own unit or debuff your opponent's unit, your wizard has to be in place from the turn before in order to, and to be in range uh, in order to make that happen. And I think that is going to be, um, that's going to be a really interesting and, and, and I think, frankly, difficult part of tactics is making sure that that's, uh, that's going to work. Okay, um, I think the last thing that I really want, think is worth bringing up, and then I'm, I'm going to be done talking because I'm, I'm getting tired of hearing my own voice as well, um, <clears throat> is, is that there's now a couple of extra maneuvers that units can perform in the movement phase. Um, so in the 8th edition, it was uh, you, could, you could charge, uh, you could uh, march, um, you could move, uh, or you could reform. Um, and the move you were allowed to do a wheel, one wheel or wheel up to 90 degrees um, as you moved. Or yeah, I think you could wheel as much as you wanted, actually. Yes, you could wheel as much as you wanted, but, but you know, your movement you were going to run out of pretty quickly. Um, now there's two, extra, there's two extra maneuvers you can do. One is a turn maneuver, which basically says uh, you're going to give up, uh, I think, a quarter of your movement, and everybody just does a, a 90 degree turn. So if you've got five ranks, wide, uh, you're five wide and three deep. Now you're three wide and five deep and pointing to the right or pointing to the left. Um, and I think you can give up half your move and do a full 180 and then still move, which is pretty neat. Um, and then the other thing you can do is you can redress the ranks. And this one is really important. And I, I'm not going to be able to stress this enough. I think this is probably one of the biggest maneuvers we're going to see happen all the time, and I'll get to that a bit in a bit, probably in another episode. But um, it's where you can give up some of your movement in order to add more ranks to the to your unit to make it uh, to make uh, your unit wider and bring guys from the back to make it wider, or to narrow it, bring guys from the front and make it deeper. Um, and the reason I think this is going to be so important is because in in close combat now, only the front rank gets to attack. Um, the second rank can make a supporting attack if they happen to have a special rule that allows them to do so. Um, looking at like spears, for example, right? Spears give you a fight an extra rank. Um, but it used to be that that everyone in the second rank made a supporting attack. Now it's only the front rank. So, uh, and the other part of that is everyone in the front rank gets to attack, not just the ones in base contact. So redressing the ranks, I think, you know, making yourself wider in order to be ready to receive a charge, um, stuff like that. These things are going to happen a lot. And there's special abilities that work with that, special rules that work with that um, in order to make some units uh, more effective at being able to do it. So I expect to see uh, the ranks getting redressed on the regular. The pit. The pit. The pit. All right. So now that we've gone over some of the major rules changes, uh, I think it's time that we move into uh, the pit, which is a section where we're going to face off a couple of special characters against each other, see how they fare, and just look into their rules a little bit. I think it's really important to to say that whoever wins gets to stay in the pit and fight again next time. Oh, right. I forgot time. about that bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for our very first pit match, we're going to have uh, a couple of fun characters here. In the green corner. 
Right. Uh, we're going to have the Green Knight uh, from, Breton- from the kingdoms of Bretonia. <laughs> In the red corner. We're going to have Setra the Imperishable, the great king of Nehekara. <laughs> The Green Knight is amongst the most well-known figures of Bretonian folklore. He is a popular character in the plays and puppet shows of wandering troubadours and courtly bards alike. And everyone in the land, young or old, peasant or noble, cheers his acts of heroism with equal enthusiasm. In such performances, the Green Knight always appears bedecked in a pale green livery of intertwining vines and roots. Long plumes of ivy cascading from his great helm. Yet little do many realize that these tales are bound in fact. The Green Knight is the sacred protector of Bretonia, the chosen champion of the Lady of the Lake. Many are the tales of an eerie twilight falling upon the land and a green mist rising, heralding the arrival of the Green Knight, a spectral figure with glowing eyes Mounted upon a steed of shadow. Yeah, Green Knight, go! <laughs> I was so excited for the Green Knight, I kicked my mic over. Okay, sorry. <laughs> so I love the Green Knight. I think I love his fluff. I love that he's like straight out of Arthurian myth and and plunked right into Warhammer. Yes, thank you. Sorry, <laughs> you're going to talk about his rules now. Go ahead. Uh- I was not. I had Setra up. <laughs> oh, you want to talk about Setra? Okay, fine. You're going to introduce Setra? I'd like to introduce both of them first before we move into the rules. All right, let's do it. All right. Oh, mighty Setra, great king of Nehekara, the imperishable. Kemrikara, king of kings, opener of the way, wielder of the divine flame, punisher of nomads, the great unifier, commander of the golden legion, sacred of appearance, bringer of light, father of hawks, builder of cities, protector of the two worlds, keeper of the hours, chosen of Petra, high steward of the horizon, sailor of the great Vitae, sentinel of the two realms, the undisputed, begetter of the begat, scourge of the faithless, carrion feeder, first of the charnel valley, rider of the sacred chariot, mighty lion of the infinite desert, lord of the shifting sands, he who holds the scepter, Great Hawk of the Heavens, Waker of the Higher Titan, Monarch of the Sky, King of the Shifting Sands, Champion of the Gods, and many, many more. Dang. <laughs> Dude's got a lot of titles. Yep. He's been alive for a few thousand years. He picks up a few. He's an overachiever. <laughs> Should see his ball bill. <laughs> okay, the Green Knight. So... There's, 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 so I think it's worth noting there's a lot fewer named characters now, and they only appear in the arcane journals. Um, and I think there's only three for each of the uh, armies that have been released so far. Um, and uh, the Green Knight is the only, uh, the only one that's coming back from previous editions for Bretonia. For Bretonia, yep. Um, okay, so and and broadly, broadly speaking, he's the same. Uh, in in terms of you know what he does and how he does it, um, there's just a few minor differences. Uh, um, so we'll talk about that now. So first off, he's weapon skill seven, which is pretty awesome. Um, uh, he's strength toughness four. Uh, he's got four wounds um, because now uh, you know his his uh, mount kind of just adds the wounds right in there. He's initiative six. He's got four attacks and leadership nine, and he costs two hundred and seventy five points. So he's heavy cavalry. Uh, which means his base size is 30 by 60 mil. 
Um, and uh, he's got his own um, special weapon called the Dolores Blade, um, which I'll get to in just a second. Um, and then he's got a bunch of special rules. Um, so he's ethereal and unbreakable and unstable, which is, you know, he's a ghost, right? This is, this is what he is. Uh, he's immune to psychology, which, you know, generally things that are unbreakable are. He's a loner, which means he can't be your army general and he can't join units. And that all makes tons of sense. He can move through cover. Yep. <laughs> he's a ghost. Um, uh, and then he's got a rallying cry. He causes terror. Um, he's got rallying cry um, and uh, aura of the Fey, blessed night and a few others. These are all like special rules just for him. So I'll go into some of his special rules here. Um, aura of the Fey is um, when he loses his last wound, um, he's removed from play, but he's not slain. He gets to come back again later. Um, that won't that won't come into effect in the in the pit. If he's removed from play, he's lost. Um, but uh, it's very cool in the actual game. Um, but each time he's slain, he's weakened, um, and so. Uh, he ends up coming back with fewer wounds um, and uh, it's harder to bring him back. So I think that, that's pretty cool fluff and, and really cool on the battlefield. It's like, oh, you've killed him? Nah, back he comes. He also has a five-up ward save. And that's his Blessed Knight special rule. And then um, the Guardian of the Sacred Sites. So you, this is basically you don't deploy him on the battlefield. We'll deploy him in the pit um, because, you know, he's kind of got to be there. But um, it means that, uh, you know, instead of instead of deploying him, you can attempt to awaken him um, on a roll of one to two. Uh, he keeps sleeping, but on a three plus he awakens. And uh, when he awakens, you you put him inside some natural terrain feature on the battlefield. So um, that's any forest, uh, any difficult or dangerous terrain. Um, but it can't be like walls or buildings or whatever. So you have to make sure you have at least one of those uh, on the battlefield um, in order to to uh, bring him on. Um, it does mean that, you know, your your opponent kind of knows where he's going to come. Um, that's OK, I guess. Um, his sword, the Dolores Blade. Um, Dolores? Dolores? I think it's Dolores. Is it Dolores? I think so. Yeah. OK. Dolores, I mean, dolor is, is Latin for sad. Um, so it's the sad, blade of sadness. <laughs> um, and uh, it gives him uh, um, one of, of, it has two profiles. So you have to choose which of the two you're going to attack with. You can either get uh, D6 extra attacks, which is his rapid strike profile. Um, or you can get the Deadly Blows profile, which gives him Strength plus 2, uh, Armor Bane 1, and Multiple Wounds 2. Um, and either way, he's got Armor Piercing minus 1. So he's he's pretty good. Um, I, I, uh, I'm very excited to, to roll some dice for him. All right. Uh, what about Cetra, the Imperishable, the one with too many names? Right. What's... What stands out for Cetra to me is that Cetra does not kneel. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of his special rules. This this evokes a bit of General Zod. Yes. In fact, I could think he would he would offer the Green Knight a place in the New Order. 
second only to my own. <laughs> <laughs> I offer you a chance for greatness, Green Knight. Take it. Um, so Cetra does not kneel. Um, he must always accept a challenge unless Nekaf, the emissary, is engaged in the same combat, in which case Nekaf, his mate, must accept the challenge on Cetra's behalf. <laughs> nice. Which I don't see what that's got to do with kneeling, to be honest, but um, I think it's just really good to have that written somewhere. It's cowardly to run away from a challenge, and Cetra is no coward. It's true. So that would be a separate rule. Uh, right. Cetra is no coward. Cetra always accepts challenges, but Cetra does not kneel, just probably should be written somewhere. Yep. Um, His knees don't work anymore. <laughs> These old bones. There's a lot of different people who could play Cetra. <laughs> from Terence Stamp to uh, Old Man Steptoe. There you go. So uh, Cetra the Great, um, if your army includes Cetra, he must be the army general. Makes sense. He literally runs the Tomb Kings, right? Yeah. Um, he's commander of the legions. See, I'm sure they've got these special rules the wrong way around. So commander <laughs> of the legions should mean he's the general, but... Well, anyway. uh, one other thing to know about Cetra the Great, he has to be your Hierophant, which is a thing in the Tomb Kings, uh, who, when he dies, uh, all of your units start crumbling. Um, and if you're... Your Hierophant is normally the highest wizard level in your army. But Cetra is only a level one wizard, and he uh, must be your army's Hierophant. Interesting. Yeah, well, theoretically, he knows the most about necromancy. He just chooses to only use one spell. <laughs> <laughs> it's his favorite one that day. Um, so he has Commander of the Legions. He gains the Arise special rule. And unlike other models with this special rule, may use it when he's engaged in combat. So, I don't know that that will apply a huge amount. I don't think you can use Arise on yourself. I believe Arise lets you bring back uh, dead models in other units. I will look that up while you continue yeah. to read Well, after he killed the Green Knight. <laughs> <laughs> right. He drives around in this chariot, so he doesn't um, walk or anything. So it's a heavy chariot. The base size of 100 mils by 150 yeah. mils, which is huge. Huge. Which, combined with the steeds, gives him a total of eight wounds, um, a toughness of five. Likewise, he's got weapon skill seven with the green knight. So uh, they're equal weapon skill. Okay. Yeah. Um, only got five attacks. Um, in his initiative is terrible at three, but quite good for an undead person. <laughs> to be fair. Fastest skeleton alive. Absolutely. Um, he's probably even got the boots of Hermes somewhere. <laughs> around. Um, comes in at um, 445 points. Oof. You can just imagine him weighing in there. and yeah. <laughs> Weighing in at 445 points. Uh, that, so that's quite a chunk. Like if you think about about a 2,000 point army, that's like almost a quarter of your points on that yeah. dude. So you definitely do not want him to die. That is for sure. He is imperishable. It's in his name. <laughs> yep. <It's> also flammable. <laughs> so, uh, so no one offer him a light on anything. Um it is worth noting a uh, change from previous editions. Tomb Kings are now all flammable and have regeneration 6 plus or 5 plus for characters. Okay, so with regenerate, that means he could actually be played by the two actors that we mentioned earlier. <laughs> um, impact hits at 2d3. Must be the new okay. chariot rule. That is yep. 
that's probably a better rule than the D6 plus however many scythes are literally on the model. <laughs> from... Once again, modeling for advantage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 47 scythes on each wheel. Uh, you see these little spikes in this guy's shield? Those are scythes. I think I might have done that in the past. <laughs> yeah. So he's got um, some very interesting powers here. He's got my will be done. Um, That's a uh, movement or attacks buff for a unit. Uh, yeah. A lot of his points value is coming from his buffs that he gives out to units. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of um, Arkhan the Black, who also used to drive around in a chariot. Apart from his chariot could fly. Right. But, um, I believe Arkhan is banished at this point from the kingdoms of Camry for his uh, worship of Nagash. Yeah, he was uh, best mates with Nagash. He was yeah. his... Um, his... Right-hand skeleton. Right-hand skeleton. Yeah. Yeah, he done his bidding. He, I think he, you took him if you wanted a special character but didn't want to take Nagash. Hmm. Um, so what's interesting is blessed, his blade is blessed by the sun god. I have no idea how he can wield a blade blessed by the sun god. Yeah. Well, he's uh, just that hard. I think so, yeah. Wielder of the Blessed yeah. Blade of Petra was one of his titles. Absolutely. Yeah. So the Blessed Blade is flaming attacks, magical attacks, requires two hands. Okay. So he can set fire to people, which makes him pretty dangerous considering he himself is flammable. Yeah. So so in the real rules terms, flaming attacks and magical attacks means it's going to cancel out any form of regeneration. So, so like demons, for example, have uh, regeneration. Uh, they have ma basically magical regeneration, and that gets cancelled out by magical attacks. And um, things like uh, skeletons and and trolls, uh, tree men and trolls, all have uh, um, regular regeneration, which gets mm. cancelled out by flaming attacks. So, no regen against blessed Petra. Uh also, magical attacks will cancel out ethereal, meaning Cetra can actually hurt the Green Knight. Yep. Yep. No automatic wins for him this time. Dang. So, uh, we rolled off a first turn. Cetra won? Yes. Now, before we actually start doing anything uh, in terms of fighting, we need to generate Cetra's one and only spell. So, could you go ahead and roll that for me, Tim? Number right. two. That is Unquiet Spirits. It is a magic missile. Uh, the target enemy unit suffers 3d6 strength 2 hits. Yeah, so... With no armor saves. Do you want to shoot at me, or do you want to take this signature spell which you get to hit me with in close combat? Yeah. I think I'll take the signature spell. All right, that is the Dwellers Below. Yep. Excellent. Now we can move on to the movement phase. Wait, no. Yeah. No, we've got to do the command phase. Oh, we got to do the yeah. command phase. That's right. Right. So there's this whole. Is it? Is it the command phase? Is that what it's called? I think it's called the command phase. Yeah. yeah. Strategy, strategy phase. Strategy I phase. Think. God. Yeah. 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 Strategy phase. All right. Very so. slightly different than 40k, just for annoying reasons. <laughs> right. So, uh, the the strategy phase. Uh, Cetra has a special rule, which is my will be done. Uh, where he gets to pick one of three effects, uh, either to gain additional movement, additional initiative, or additional attacks. Was it attacks or weapon skill? I think it's weapon skill. Yep, sorry, weapon skill. Um, with weapon skill being equal, um, 
initiative, um, even though it's my favourite stat. Um, I'm getting a premonition that movement could be very valuable. <laughs> you want to make be. sure to make that charge? Yep, it was um, given to me by the the Hawk Lord mm. who appeared and said, Father. <laughs> <laughs> so... I manifest the spell, my will shall be done. Right. So, to do that, you make a leadership test against Cetra's leadership of 10. I scored two fours. So that's an eight. So you succeed. Uh, and then you get to pick your effect. Grant me extra movement. Forward to glory. That's the name of that rule. All right, so D3 extra movement. See what you get. Three. Oh, dang. That means you're pretty much auto in. You've got move 11 now. I think it's capped at 10. Is it capped at 10? I think it might be capped at 10. It is. It says to a maximum of 10. Okay. Phew. So there's a chance you might not make it. But One in 36. One in 36 chance. Not a great chance. All right. Let's move on to the movement phase. Declare charges. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My will be done. Yes. <laughs> All right. Steeds. Bring me forth. Uh, as they say in Bretonia, come at me, bro. <laughs> Take that as a hold reaction. Then. Yeah. I don't think he can do anything else. No, he is unbreakable. Yep. Right. Uh, in that case, uh, go ahead and resolve the charge. Go roll your charge. Double Two threes. Three. Okay. You make it in. Ouch. So... First thing that's going to happen is I'm going to take some impact hits from that massive chariot. Okay. The impact hits of 2d3. So one at three, one at two, which is a total of five. Five impact hits. Ouch. So looking at the strength of the chariot itself, which is strength five. Yep. And I'm toughness four. Are the impact hits magical? Not only is the chariot of the gods... Okay. That says his attacks are magical. Impact hits caused by the okay. Chariot of the Gods have flaming and magical attack special rules. Excellent. In addition, oh, I can join a unit of Tomb Guard chariots. Oh, that's kind of cool. You can <laughs> stick the big chariot in the little chariots. So, <laughs> that's cool. How many was that in total? That five. was five. You might just kill him straight out here. So, strength five, tough four. The Green Knight emerges from the lake. Oh, phew, there's a pair of ones in there, so I'm definitely going to survive the impact hits. All right. Um, but see. otherwise, three wounds. Okay, so I have uh, heavy armor and a shield. Hold on. Oh, yeah. Uh, there is a special rule yeah. for Tomb Kings. Grind them down. Oh, no. Whilst within the general's command range, uh, friendly models whose troop type is chariot may reroll the dice when rolling to determine the number of impact hits they cause. Oh, gross. Okay. So you you can... had five. Do you want to reroll? Oh, you got four. You got another another oh, impact hit. Okay. One. Four impact hits. Ouch. All right. Okay. Uh, yep. So what's the armor piercing on the impact hits? That is a great question. Um, we should just pull up the rules for impact hits. Is there nothing on the, uh, in the profile itself? On the profile itself, it just has... Nope. Yeah. D3 at strength. It's underneath the Universal Special Rules, I think. Okay, yeah. and let's take a quick look there. I'll put money on it that, um, that it's minus two. You think so? Probably. Only because uh, that's how it used to work. Nope, there's no uh, resolve impact hits. Using the unmodified strength characteristic of the model. 
Yep. And they always strike at initiative 10. So, no, it's just uh, straight up strength. So I get my full armor save. Yeah. Right? I think so. Does it does appear to be as we try to work out the rules as we go here. Um, okay. So um, four wounds. And I've got heavy armor, which gives me a five up, plus a shield, which gives me a six up. Uh, sorry, a four up, plus barding on my steed which brings me down to a three up. So I've got a three up armor save. All right. So here we go. I've got four. You need to roll to wound first. Those are his rolls to wound. Was it? Those are yeah. rolls to hit. No, impact hits hit automatically. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's why they're called impact hits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so four saves. I need to make at least one of these. Three plus. Okay, I save uh, three of them. Okay, so I take one wound. You mark a wound on the green knight there. Okay, so that was just impact hits. Right, um, the steeds. Okay, hang on. So we had initiative 10, which was the impact hits. Yep, right. Cetra gets plus three initiative for charging. Yes. So that brings up to a total of six, six correct? Six, yep. yep. What's the green knight's initiative? Is also six. So they strike at the same time then. Yes, but I think he's talking about his steeds. Those the- are initiative one. They're initiative two. Two. Okay. okay, so Cetra and the Green Knight are going to get to fight at the same time. Okay, well... Uh, uh, I think the Green Knight should roll first. Oh, you think so? Okay. Even though we're simultaneous. All right, right. all right. I will roll first. Bring so we're, we're weapon skill seven. So hitting on a four plus because um, you're both. we're both the same weapon skill. I've got four attacks. Okay, so now I have to choose a profile with which to attack. Cetra's toughness is four. Oh, sorry, Cetra's toughness is five, and your strength is only four. My strength's only four, so I think then I have to go with deadly blows. Okay, so I'm going to get four attacks. Armor bane one, multiple wounds two, strength plus two, so it'll be a strength six. Here we go. Four ups. Oh, no, oh. I've rolled a pile of ones and a two. I miss entirely. The lady is not with you today. Not with me today. Oh, I forgot to take the blessing. That's why. Mm. No, he's automatically blessed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he gets a five-up ward save. That's what it is. Uh, That's true. He does. He is the blessed knight. Anyway. Okay. Uh, Well, I swing and miss. (laughs) For honorably letting your opponent strike first, you may now strike back at him. Okay. He's got five attacks, same weapon skill. That would be two and three and three hits. Strength, Strength six, six versus his toughness of four. Oh, yeah. So that's a two plus to wound. And it's also flaming magical. Oh, uh, yeah. So no ward save for me. Uh, you still get your ward save. You have a five up ward save. Oh, is it a general ward save? Yes. You have it, a five is up. A, it is a general ward save. You have a right. five up ward save and you're ethereal, so you're immune to non-magical attacks. That's what it is. Sorry. Thank you for the reminder. Okay. So it's AP minus three. It was uh, two plus to wound. Two plus to wound, yeah. So you got two wounds. And AP minus three. AP minus three. Okay, so my three up armor save goes to a six up. So I'm going to roll 2d6 and roll a pair of fives. Darn it. Okay. Should have saved those for the ward. Yeah. Okay, well, here's the ward save. Two ward saves. I got one more five. Okay, so I take another wound. A green knight goes down to two wounds. What's the Steed's initiative, the Shadow Steed? The Shadow Steed's initiative is on the other page as I look it up. Uh, initiative four. All right. So it'll go last then. It'll go last for sure. All right then. 
the skeletal steeds, the four of them, do they have magical attacks? Um, I don't think so. They just have um, skeletal hooves. Counts as hand weapon. And initiative two, so... So the chariot of the gods rule does, does it only applies apply to the chariot to, itself? Yeah. yeah, doesn't apply to the steeds. Okay, so you're not gonna you're not gonna do anything to me because I'm ethereal. And then your ethereal horse gets to poke back at him. Yeah. All right. Let's do one poke from an ethereal horse. Shadow steed. Okay, I'm on weapon skill four against weapon skill seven, so I'm hitting on fives. Then I roll a one. Oh, you need to get different dice. <laughs> Clearly, I shouldn't be using red and yellow dice. Against the guy whose entire color scheme is bone? I just don't have any green dice. Darn it. <laughs> okay. So you've taken a wound from the blade of Patra. Yes. You suffer minus one rolls to hit when shooting and in combat for the remainder of the game. Okay, so I'm minus one to hit you next turn. Yep. Yikes. Gross. Okay, well, here we go. The sun is blinding you. Turn so, to the dwellers below. Uh, oh, you're going to dwellers below me now as well. Do the same spells happen uh, before or after combat? That, that is a really good question. So let's have a, a very quick look at that. But why don't you go ahead and cast it anyway? Um, while I look up the rule. Um, two dice. Yep. Give me a seventeen. That's a six. Nearly. Uh, you need a seven plus. Mm -hmm. Well, he's a level one wizard. Oh, so yeah. So he gets plus one to the roll. So it does indeed go off. However, I get my fated dispel. Let's see if the lady's with you today. Yeah, so I just need to roll 2d6 and chuck a seven or higher. Go. Uh, that's a five. And that one is a six. So that is 11. I dispel your, your dwellers below. No magic for you, mister. No magic for you. Okay. Um... Choose and fight combat. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I think we'll have to figure out um, when these assailment spells actually happen uh, separately. Let's just roll on to the next uh, the next round. Okay, so s this is uh, my turn. Yep. yep. Still round one. Okay. Okay. Well, I have no choice but to just thwack Cetra. Do unbreakable units not even uh, oh, give ground? To, oh, we have to do the uh, we have to do the resu combat, result, combat yeah. result. Okay, so I've taken two wounds, mm -hmm. and Cetra charged. Cetra charged. Okay, let's have a look at the combat results table here because there's a little uh, calculate combat result. Okay, so uh, unsaved wounds inflicted one point each. I inflicted none. You inflicted two. Uh, rank bonus doesn't apply. Standards don't apply. And no high ground, no overkill, no other bonuses. So uh, I lose um, at minus two. Now, I am unbreakable and unstable, right? Yes. Green Knight, unbreakable, unstable. Okay, so let's have a quick look at the rules for that because I think that means the game might be over. <laughs> Not necessarily, I think. Um. Okay, special it might rules. Be. It might be. So, unbreakable. We know is um, you don't. You're not required to make a great a break test. You just automatically give ground. But unstable. If a unit with this special rule loses a round of combat, it loses one additional wound for every combat result point by which it lost. The wounds are lost after combat results have been calculated, but before break tests are made. 
So because the Green Knight was so incredibly incompetent, he vanishes in a puff of green smoke. He does. He takes two more wounds and just dies. Okay, well, that was uh, entertaining, at least for us. Um, <laughs> poor Green Knight. Poor uh, Green Knight. He didn't do anything to no, Sutra. No, he didn't. So here, Perhaps he'll come back in a future pit. He, he, perhaps. Uh, he might appear if the pit hadn't to ha- happened to have a, like a, a, a natural terrain. Yeah. He might have been able to come back again next turn. You Unfortunately, know. it's just sand. Just sand. I think Sutra might be graceful enough to plant a seed. maybe if there's enough bloodshed in the pit that might cause something to grow which could Cetra life bringer to the desert well Uh, I think think... Cetra might be very difficult to beat in the pit it'll be interesting to see he might be perhaps that's why the green knight shall return (laughs) who knows (laughs) yeah the green knight is a worthy opponent yeah the hobby horse (laughs) right so after all that silliness uh, I think it's time to talk about creating a new army for this new game uh, because a lot of people don't want to you know rebase the armies and a lot of people don't have armies that they want to use for uh old world they don't might not have armies from warhammer fantasy uh so i think it's a good time to discuss uh what you recommend for new players or people just starting to get a new army uh tim do you have any thoughts on that yeah um so firstly and probably most obviously from my position is definitely support your local game store um a games workshop as well if you happen to go there if you like the manager if you like the people that you play with um do support the game store turn up for the games buy stuff um even if it's a pot of paint whatever um anyway enough about that so the obviously there are other places you can buy it. a lot of websites do a discount but what will happen if you don't support your local games workshop if you like the manager and you like the people that you play with he will get replaced or yeah. she will get replaced and you're not quite sure who you're going to get after that yeah um, so it's always better to build rather than destroy so yeah. that's why i say you know turn up for games yeah buy a pot of paint yeah <laughs> you know leave a nice review yeah but um anyway um when it comes to your first army best thing to do is obviously buy the rules buy the appropriate arcane journal and either ravening hordes or the other book forces of fantasy and have a look at um have a look at your basic troop type. Um, so, for example, if that happens to be orcs, that could be a box of orc boys. And then get yourself as many of that troop type as possible. Now, a lot of people are going to start swearing at whatever they're listening to this podcast on and start talking about meta and how you need 50 cannons and everything, but... In my book, if you are buying an army, then you need to be collecting that army, learning how to paint that army, and you're not going to learn how to do it by buying 20 cannons and 50 dragons. Of course, it's up to you if you want to buy some. You want to buy 50 dragons, totally, whatever. But if we're talking about actually collecting an army, getting the bulk of it as your first 
initial purchase because that's going to be your project for the next whenever yeah i i i I think you really have to love the core troops yeah um because you're going to need a bunch of them and and you're going to paint a bunch of them and that's a really good uh, good point like the the first thing you're going to purchase has got to be the thing that you're going to have to have in the army and if you don't like that you might as well collect a different army that's part of the reason why i'm not going back to empire is because i don't like the core troops i love the centerpiece models like the steam tanks and the general riding a griffin uh, and i love the artillery and stuff but i find the core state troop models just not very appealing they're a bit boring in my book which is why i've kind of shifted over to beastman because i really like the uh, the beastman uh models especially the the bestigors and gores and things yeah cool yeah i mean i mean let's face it you are going to be painting and assembling about a hundred of these guys even if you're going to be fancy and say well i'm going to do the cavalry version <laughs> of whichever army that you are going to be painting um crew the riders which are going to be versions of the infantry they just happen to have um, wider legs yeah um now, you're going to have a lot of options when it comes to putting your infantry together. Um, obviously, Going Workshop are going to be putting together the box sets that we've already seen and a number have been teased in the pictures. So, High Elf Spearmen are coming back. Orc Boys from the 6 Z box are coming back. There's a, an F load of... <laughs> other manufacturers who also do some great deals as well um people like uh mantic war games atlantic um warlord games if you're doing an empire army um the perry's have to be mentioned if you're talking about especially bretonians absolutely Um, and and there's there's you know a buttload of of things available for 3d printing if if that floats your boat as well like um i think one of the reasons that that Warhammer, uh, you know, the cynic of me says one of the reasons that Warhammer went through the end times was because of the proliferation of available third-party miniatures. You know, the the Warhammer setting is is you know take take historical Earth and and Middle Earth and let them have a baby. And you and you kind of get you kind of get the Warhammer world like a slightly evil and nasty baby, but there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so so as you know, elves are elves are elves. Uh, nobody can really say, oh, you know, these are these are our elves, and you can't have them unless you name them Eldari. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. Well, that's that's really what happened, right? You know, they started making funky names, and then they gave them slightly funkier and stranger armor, and then it became you know a lot more. This is our intellectual property. Um, it's nice to see that, you know, Warhammer the Old World is coming back. It, it means as modelers and as hobbyists, we have a lot more choice in terms of the models that we want to collect. And I think, I, I honestly think, um, and it might be going a little off topic here, but I honestly think Games Workshop recognizes this and they're putting more models into the boxes. Um, as Like that's one of the things they've said is the boxes are going to have more models. They're going to be, I presume not too much more expensive because of that in an effort to, to, um, you know, try and keep people buying their models versus, uh, looking at, um, at other manufacturers. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I think there's a lot of it to be said for mixing and matching when it comes to creating your army. Because at the end of the day, it is going to be your army. It's not going to belong to Games Workshop. It ceases to belong to Games Workshop or anyone else once you've got it in your hands. Yep. And you've started painting it. So, you know, feel free to go out there and experiment and, you know, really see what suits you. Um, obviously, in the next part of your journey is going to be um, getting a few games in. Um, there is going to be um, a period where you are going to be playing with semi-painted models. <laughs> or, if that. Yeah, you know, yes, the non, army of grey. Non-tournament compatible models, but you know that's part of the learning curve, so you're going to learn how your army works. And, you know, what kind of floats your boat when it comes to um, defending and battering your opposition. So you might find that, you know, after a few games that, you know, you might want to go cavalry heavy or, you know, you might want to be archer heavy or want to go for a more balanced force. Um, then it comes to the idea of uh, reward painting. So... What a lot of people like to do is they'll say, right, I'll paint 20 infantry, I'll get this unit done, and then I'm going to paint a cannon or a dragon. or Because something. that's the thing that they really want to paint. Absolutely. So they, they go through the other stuff because they have to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once you've done, you know, say 20 faces or 20 shields, it's really good to give yourself a break and, you know. If you don't paint your meat, you can't have any pudding. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, one other thing to to think about when you're collecting a new army um, is, you know, who who are you going to be playing against? Um, You know, uh, in the in in the um, in the area where I was playing, a lot of people were playing both either warriors of chaos or dark elves at the time. Um, and so collecting either of those meant that you were going to be facing the same as your own army on the battlefield. And, you know, that's okay, but, but it's, it's also not as fun as when you're facing something different. Um, and so, uh, you know, if, if you're, you know, going to a local game store and you can, you can, uh, you, you know, who's going to be playing and you find out what armies that they're playing, you know, that can help influence your, your choice a little bit um uh, or you know you, you don't have to you, if you're like i said the best thing is if you if you're in love with the core models just play that army um but if you're not sure or you're thinking about what army to collect um you know finding out what other people are playing and then choosing something that's different that's gonna make your local scene more more diverse is is uh i thoroughly recommend it yeah that's why everyone should have an orc army <laughs> because orcs are the biggest in most diverse <laughs> absolutely i mean they they will fight anyone and each other and one person's orc army is not going to be exactly the same as somebody else's that's right i'm, I'm just running snotlings only snotlings <laughs> yeah. got a custom uh, homebrewed character here he's a snotling general a scar snot <laughs> i think i've heard of more than one not that many snotling armies led by a goblin general. 
Yeah. Um, I think you could do that as a legit army in 4th, 5th edition. Yeah, sadly, you have to have goblins in it now because there's snotlings are not a core choice. Well, <laughs> depends who you ask, really. But, uh, I mean, the, the other f- thing to mention is, um, I mean, I've kind of gone on about um, how great infantry and, you know, let's paint 50 boring faces and yep. 20 chainmail. But if you go to go back to your books, start reading about the history of the army that you're collecting you know any famous battles that they've been at um what their uniforms like characters there's normally a funny story involving i mean if it, if it's orcs it could be any of them <laughs> really let's face it they're going to be up to something daft and silly that's you know find something that inspires you and well it's um, actually like you were saying with uh, with death dealer yeah. Right, it can be a piece of art that inspires you, Absolutely. right? And um, where you're like, "This is what I want to be, my general or my centerpiece, or even just a fun conversion I want to try," um, and and that's what what keeps you going. Because at the end of the day, collecting an army is a marathon, yeah. right? You you're gonna add to it over time. You're going to, um, you know, have to assemble everything. You're going to have to paint everything. You're going to have to maintain it all. And then, you know, the, the rules will change slightly and you're like, oh, dang, I really have to have this other unit now. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to have to do it all again. Yeah, Model absolutely. of the month and all that. Yeah. It was a, I'm fairly certain a, it's a genuine marketing strategy of Games Workshop to, uh, at least these days, release a new big model and then nerf it six months later. So that <laughs> when they release the new, the next new big model, so people will buy that. Yeah, which I think is it's why it's important to you know paint what you want to paint, yeah. and you know if you've if you come up with a history or a part of the world that your army happens to be from, it might not matter as much that you don't have the latest guy, because it will be your army. The battles that you win are going to be your victories, and not something that you've necessarily paid for to win yeah and i i think um you know looking at their how they've done their release so far and and what seems to be coming i i think that's going to be more the case for old world where it's it's aimed at um you know the joy of 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 rank and flank combat on the table um i i personally i love to name all of my characters um, you know, creating a name for them and then, you know, giving them like Cetra, right? Giving them titles after they do a thing. Like I had uh, um, one character who got the title Demon's Bane, like after he, he killed a greater demon in combat, stuff like that. Like these things, um, they, at the end of the day, we're, we're playing with toy soldiers. We're playing war dollies, right? You know, it, it is, it is designed to capture our imagination so we can have fun with little pieces of plastic and, and, and resin on the battlefield. Um, do what, what makes you have fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, last point that I want to make, I think when you're, when you're new to collecting an army, um, it, while you, uh, you know, like, like Tim was saying, you know, you want to go out and get those sort of core pieces. Um, it can be helpful to think about things in in sort of like 500 point increments um, only because that's how um, you know most games tend to be structured um, in those sorts of increments 
And so your first 500 points, um, you can absolutely just buy 500 points of core um, because pretty much any army you're going to do after that is, is you know, you've got most of your, your core allotment sorted at that point. But you don't have to. You know, it could be 250 of core and, and you know, that nice dragon that you have your eye on, uh, you know, your reward paint or whatever it happens to be. But but give it a little bit of thought in terms of the points. You know, I know I'm, I'm kind of the, the rules guy a little bit. Um, but uh, um, it, it can definitely um, um, make it a little easier to get playing with your toys quicker if you've just uh, planned a little bit ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, planning and preparation prevents piss poor performance. Which, uh, <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> five times fast. Oh, very good. You know, I mean, it obviously just helps to know what you're doing. If you've got a, an idea of an army list that you've jotted down, and then if you have a look at some of the figures that are available, it's actually going to make it a lot easier than just going into a shop and randomly buying stuff. Even though that's not necessarily a bad thing, <laughs> but um, it helps to, um, you know, cut down on the um, lead under the box. Sorry, the lead under the bed. Right. The, the uh, what is it, the box of shame, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, here's all of this stuff that I haven't even assembled. The pile of, mm. the pile of shame, isn't that how they refer to it? <laughs> That's the one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, uh, the other thing is to, uh, as part of what I was saying about um, supporting your game, GameStop, if you're arranging a game and you have a game to look forward to, then you've got a reason to get something painted on a partic- for a particular day. So, you know, you've got, you know... Uh, 2000 point battle coming up so it's like right i need to get the infantry and the cavalry and that cannon done yeah and it's the same for tournaments and things right like uh for a lot of tournaments you need to have a fully painted army uh and those you you just don't get to play if you don't mm. so you've got a strict deadline where you need to get all all the models done by that time uh it's a great motivator yeah i i mean i think that uh, tournaments um whether they're whether they are competitive tournaments or just uh, you know a play day um, of of organized play, uh, they're really good for helping uh, um, motivate you to to get stuff done because you know um, uh, virtually everyone I've met in this hobby there's one or two very notable exceptions but virtually everyone I've met has uh, some level of pile of shame has some level of hobby ADHD where they jump from either from system to system or, you know, they, they play Warhammer one weekend and the next weekend they're off, uh, you know, doing some other different hobby. Um, you know, the, the tournament is kind of the, the forcing function. It's like, I, oh, okay. Uh, they say I must have it all painted. Dang. I got to actually sit down and paint. Um, and you, you still have the joy when you paint, like I really enjoy painting, but sometimes I just need that that motivation to say it's got to be done now, so I got to sit down and make the time for it. All right, men, rank up. We'll charge him in the flanks. All right, uh, I think we can end things off here with just a couple of uh, notes from the rank and flank Discord server. Oh yeah, if you want to join that, um, you can uh, go to the rankandflank.com website and there's just a link right there from Discord. You can come join us. Uh, we were requested to uh, talk about a couple of fun magic items uh, by one of the members of the Discord. 
Uh, okay, so magic items overall, um, I think, um, have have been toned down a little bit uh, in terms of uh, what they what they can do and how much points they cost. Um, I think uh, um, one that's been made more accessible and a bit more fun is the wizarding hat. Um, it, it is forty five points down from a hundred. Um, it give, it turns the character into a level one wizard and makes them stupid. Um, <laughs> the stupidity part is that there's like voices whispering to you now that you've got this this magical hat on your head. Um, that's just really annoying. Yeah, that's just really. I kind of think of it like you know like a a really sarcastic version of the sorting hat. It's like, oh, you really want to cast that spell? Jeez, and then you're arguing with the hat instead <laughs> instead of casting the spell. Um. And another another fun one that's uh, that's made its way back uh, into into the game is the flying carpet. Um, this one costs forty points. Uh, it gives you the fly eight special rule, which means you can move eight inches while you're flying. Um, and uh, I think what else does it? Oh, it's only uh, it, it can only be taken by infantry characters. So. And it prevents you from joining units. Um, it prevents you from joining units, yeah. So basically, you're flying around. I, I've seen flying carpets um, done a bunch of different ways. Some people have modeled it as like magic wings or or whatever it happens to be. If you want to have an infantry model in your army that can fly, you can. So I think two, those are two of the more fun ones that I've seen. Mm -hmm. uh, is the terrifying mask of E still in the game? <laughs> No. Oh, no. It is not. However, um, I think there is a similar magic item. If I remember correctly, the terrifying mask of E, um, e uh, just gave you, I think it gave you terror. It just gave you terror, yes. Yeah, there is, uh, there is a magic item that grants terror, and um, sadly it does not have quite so cool a name. Uh, let me see if I can dig it out while you uh, bring up the next question. All right. Uh, the next question we have is, uh, what is objectively the best army in the game, and why is it dwarfs? <laughs> I think we've already determined that objectively the best uh, army in the game is orcs, according to Tim. <laughs> um, I uh, uh, Yeah, so um, good luck with that, Miles, is all I have to say. <laughs> I think it is. Um, I think the best army in the game is probably your dudes. Yeah. So if you're collecting an army, that is probably the best army. Outside of orcs, of course. <laughs> Pretty much, because in any fantasy movie or story, you will see hordes of orcs and lots of normal people terrified of these hordes of orcs. It's true. Right. Therefore, orcs are the best army. If you happen to be an evil overlord, or a wizard of some description, your go-to mercenaries are going to be orcs. I mean, you might have chaos warriors or dread warrior equivalents for your personal guard, but... Orcs are free. They just want to fight. Exactly. You yeah. Are. But, you know, if you need to defeat some orcs, it's usually those pesky uh, wood elves that you end up calling upon. Or other orcs. Or the high... Or other orcs. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's true. No, there, I'm mistaken. There is no... Magic item that grants terror now that I can see. Um, I, there are some in the um, Arcane ar Generals. army special. The, the, some of the particular armies have a, a horde of orcs. 
<laughs> cause terror. I think that the mask was so terrifying it scared the writers out of putting it back in the game. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I really I've forgotten about that. I did like the name of that so much. Uh, another interesting magic item thing I've just remembered is that potions can now be taken multiple times. Yeah, there are. Uh, so, mm. in the rulebook, they referred to the rulebook magic items as the common magic items. Um, but that still meant that all that meant was that each army had access to them. Now they have extremely common magic items. Um, and the, the extremely common ones are ones where you can take multiples of them. You can take multiples of them even on the same character, never mind in the same army. Um, and uh, um, I, I think that's how it works. Um, bear in mind, I've only had a few days at the rules. Um, but yes, the potions all uh, all can be taken. There's there's a few scrolls and stuff like that can be taken, um, and even I think some of the weapons um, are are you you know so you you could have multiple I think you can have multiple magical weapons now as well. So it's a little different. Um, but like I said, the overall power level of those I'm not sure you would necessarily want to do that, but you can if you choose to. Yeah. Uh, another question from the Discord is that. Uh... Since Horde Army uh, models are now so much cheaper, like three or four points, um, compared to their equivalents in other armies, for example, uh, Dark Health Infantry is about uh, like 12 points per model with heavy armors and shields. Uh, will uh, I, Do you think that Horde Armies will be particularly powerful in this game compared to uh, in previous editions? Oh, that is a good question. Um... Bearing in mind, we've only had a few days at the rules. Yeah, my first thought is uh, that there's definitely still a strong place for horde armies. Um, I think that um, you know the new the rules around combat are that there's the that when you're when you step forward, um, you can't fight in the phase that you step forward. Which means um, if you're if you're horde armies typically tend to have a low initiative. Um, and not all of them, Skaven are the exception. Um, but that means that when you when you are uh, when your horde is attacked on a higher initiative, most likely the the dudes are not going to get to fight back. Um, so uh, I think you know having that staying power um, to hold up a unit for a long period of time is still going to be very very valuable. And maybe that's a, a, a tactic we should probably talk about at some point is is how that's going to work. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I don't see anything in the rules in first read that that suggest that uh, the horde army is is going to suffer in any way. Um, like I think the tactics of the, so having played Skaven a bunch, um, you know, um, and and having played against uh, other horde armies and. Um, with both uh, elite armies and hordes, I don't think of, I can't think of anything that I saw where I thought, oh, well, that kind of just makes horde armies useless or, or anything like that. I think they're, I think they're going to still be uh, um, as viable as they were before. Might be quite funny to see a big bus of Skaven then immediately turn into just two ranks as it spreads across half the table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean. It's interesting. I don't know how big uh, units are going to be. That's something I think we're, we're um, will be interesting uh, to see how that unfolds over the over the course of uh, playing our first few games. Uh, any thoughts, Ted? 
Yeah, um, all I can think of when you mentioned the line of Skaven is, um, I don't know if anyone's aware that there was a tournament that supposedly took place ages ago that involved um, a scout army for 40k unable to deploy because somebody put their deployed their crew all along the table. And it turned out that it was totally game legal. And both players were effectively gaming the game rather than actually playing it. Yeah. But the spread of crew actually won. Yeah. Rules as written. The only evidence we have is an anecdote and a picture of somebody not looking happy with a scout army and someone looking very smug with the crew. Um, yep, I remember that, and uh, and I've seen a similar uh, I've seen a similar thing for Age of Sigmar as well. Right, um, and in fact, that kind of thing is what is what turned me off those games. Um, you know, yeah. I want a big block of dudes. I want I want my army to look like an army. I want it to feel like this is a battle that could actually happen. Not um, this is somebody meta gaming in order to to come away with a tournament victory. Um. I think there was there was one other question um, that was in here, uh, which was um, uh, kind of buried a little in there um, from Mark, which was uh, it'd be a good idea of what you're all into regarding the game. Um, so, like, what is it that kind of floats our boat about uh, about Warhammer? We talked a little bit about it, but um, these are I think this would be pretty good uh, parting thought. What do you think? I think that sounds good. Yeah. So. Uh, I'll start. Um, I think uh, I, I just I really just kind of alluded to it. And, and in fact, the name of the podcast really kind of captures it all. For me, it's about it's about having uh, the combination of the the uh, rank and file rank and flank sort of troops um, on the on the battlefield in in blocks um, combined with, you know, the the um, the tactics that you need to to really work with them. I'm very excited about the new maneuvers that I'm going to be able to do. Um, uh, to me, the 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 funnest phase is the movement phase. Like it sets everything else up. Um, and um, I'm I'm very excited to kind of get my old models out, um, and my, my get my wood elves on the table, and and see how they perform in, in under this new system. Uh, I think that what's most uh, exciting to me about this is just a return to a world that I really enjoy. Uh, I love the world of Warhammer Fantasy. Uh, it's been a big part of my life uh, for a very long time. Uh, and I'm really excited to go back and just see it being you know, talked about more. Uh, with the Total War games and things, uh, that has been kind of starting to happen for the last couple of years. Um, and people have been discussing the old world, uh, like the actual world itself. And that's been making me really happy. I've, I'm really excited to see more people uh, enjoying this really good setting uh, and the excellent uh, models that have come along with it, which hold a lot of nostalgia value for me as well. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I think Warhammer Fantasy Battle has kind of had a wilderness period where it's existed outside of its original existence, kind of like Doctor Who did in the 90s, <laughs> where, you know, you could you could do the role-playing game, which is still going strong. You could do Total War, which a lot of people have actually found out about the old world through. Um, Total War is the entire reason Chaos Dwarves is still supported. Absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and I think the reason why Tree Men are now wizards 
which I'm very excited about. Yeah. Uh, but I think they've, they've done some really interesting things with um, Cathay and some of the other countries that you don't really see much in the Warhammer game since, I think, the late 80s when they last had a model range out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's um, it'll be interesting to see what people do with it and what direction people take with it. Um, I'm looking forward to looking less like a head case talking about the vague um, parts of Warhammer that still exist, um, like Karaberg Crimson right. as the paint, which is a, a very um, particular reference to a very particular unit of Empire troops. It's the Karaberg Great Swords, right? Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, very good regiment. I love that you both know that. <laughs> They're in total war. Ah. Yeah. I think I think it's mainly the paint range that is still available from Going's Workshop that actually has any reference to those worlds. Sterling mud yep. and that kind of thing. Nuln oil. Oh, of course. Nuln oil. Right? Everybody swears by it, but nobody knows where Nuln is anymore. Yeah. So. All right. Cool. Um, I think that is that all the questions. I think so. I think so. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, we'll wrap it up. Tonight. Might have more next time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to known and beyond. <laughs> uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, this has been the Rank of Blank podcast. Uh, we'll, we will uh, see you in the next one. Bye.